I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Sean Dyche of the podcast, old, chubby, balding and waging class warfare on a daily basis. And I'm joined by the Rafinha of the podcast, Jacob Stambridge, dragging us kicking and screaming to a point. And finally, the Ashley Barnes of the podcast, call the police. <laughs> A crime has been committed. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, John. Um, and very pleased that you've given me an early opportunity to say that I think Ashley Barnes is a dirty shit bastard. And then I can get on with the rest of the podcast in a more analytical bent. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was going to ask you how you are, but I don't want to steal Jacob's thunder. So I'll, I'll leave that to him because we know that's his thing. Yeah, well, another more caring member of the team is here with us today. And that's Jacob Stanbridge. Jacob, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks, John. Um, I, I, I have been thinking about ch- uh, changing things up and not asking how you were, but uh, I, I think I should. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't. So, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing very well. Um, yes, and for the keener-eared listeners amongst our fan base, you may have noticed that that intro is basically the same as last week's intro, with a few key changes uh, because we played a game where we drew, got a late draw played against a 4-4-2 in a mid-block, so I felt it was only right for me to keep most of these <laughs> things the same. Let's jump straight in then with the with the game summary. Obviously, yesterday we drew 1-1 with Burnley at Turf Moor. We knew that it was going to be the 3-3-1-3, and so it proved. But with a bit of a twist, we saw Diego Llorente as a right centre-back, uh, and Luke Ayling was pushed forward into the wing-back position. Um, Dallas obviously had to move across to the left wing-back position because Junior Firpo uh, had contracted COVID. And another player who contracted COVID is Mateusz Klick, who um, was supposedly going to play in the in the midfield, but um, was replaced by Rodrigo. Uh, as we've said, Burnley played in a 4-4-2 mid-block. Uh, and generally, they they went direct and counter-pressed the ball at times. Um 
and yeah, caused us a few problems in, in that way. They didn't push us a huge amount in the first 15 minutes, but they definitely got more aggressive and more direct as the first half wore on. Um, I think they they realised that, that putting the ball in, in the box at height was was causing Leeds problems. Um, and so and so they, they did that more as the, as the half wore on. And I, f- I felt as though they not, not necessarily controlled the game, but they certainly um, caused a lot of problems in, in that first half on, on the basis of that Leeds did create some chances in the first half in transition uh, and this is where most of Leeds chances came from during the game I thought um, apart from after the goal when when obviously Burnley started sitting back and just allowed Leeds to to uh, bombard their box a little bit um, there were some poor decision making moments which meant that Leeds didn't convert these chances but there were some pretty promising um, and threatening um, transitions in the first half but these slowly dried up and in the second half Burnley started started to dominate the early proceedings and that culminated in the goal from a corner that Leeds failed to clear uh, and as I've mentioned at this point Burnley started to sit a little bit deeper and Leeds made an almost immediate substitution uh, they brought off Diego Irente for Jamie Shackleton um, and pushed uh, Luke Ayling back into the right centre-back position and just meant that they were able to attack a little bit more intensely down the right-hand side and we saw Calvin Phillips covering the space in behind Ailing and, and, and Shackleton and uh, um, with Burnley sitting deeper this was this was fine. Um, in the end Leeds got the goal from a bit of a moment thanks to Rafinha as we've mentioned and uh, yeah he really is quite an important player for us at the moment um, and yeah, we got a bit of a lucky ricochet from a Shackleton shot, which which Bamford stabbed home. Um, so obviously it was nice to get the point again. Uh, but as we'll probably talk at some point in this podcast episode, it was an issue of Leeds being caused problems by mid-block um, play. And this was a team who were poor in defensive transition, I thought, who didn't exactly trouble our press. So I think it's, this is a game where really we should have been looking for for three points so um, lots to talk about today but it's not for me to start off with um, the, the 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 questions it's for you guys to start off with the answers so we'll start off in this section with the interrogation so five questions from me where I uh, try and draw out some of the bigger issues from the game yesterday so let's kick off with uh, a general question were we a bit lucky to get a point yesterday Darren let's kick off with you yeah, I think on balance we were we were probably just about worthy of a point. Um, I, I think yeah, if you take that game as an as 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 a as an individual thing without the context of the problems that we know Leeds have got, and you just look at the ninety minute ninety minutes in terms of the situations and the chances that we created in the first half, um, we sh- we should definitely have made more of those. I think we yeah, obviously going going one nil down um, caused you know was. It felt at the time when we went 1-0 down like we were going to get exactly what we deserved from the game, which was nothing. But on the rewatch, actually, I don't think we were as bad as I thought we were when I, when I watched it yesterday. Um, I think I think we were just about worthy of a point, um, but maybe just a, you know, a little bit lucky because... You know, even in that situation that Rafinha creates the moment, he makes a bad decision at the end of it and tries to take a shot into the near post, which gets deflected out, and then it's a bit of a bit of a ping pong type situation, and, and we end up sort of stabbing an ugly, ugly goal. And but then again, their goal was also ugly. So I, th- I think in the end, a point is just about where where we should have been, albeit with the disappointment that we all wanted three, because I think otherwise it looks like a tough start to the season and like like we're in a bit more trouble than we needed to. So. If you if you take that away, I think a point was fine. I think similar to Darren, I 
was a bit lower on how we performed in the live watch as opposed to the rewatch. I I think having rewatched the game last night, I I think we did sort of deserve a point out of it. I think both teams created a reasonable amount of sort of threatening opportunities without ever creating a lot of re- real chances that even even Burnley only had two chances which I think made any substantial impact onto the XG for the, for them for example it was the goal and then a header that Chris Wood had from a corner in the first half so I think maybe on balance in that respect each side only having that one really fantastic chance that was the goal it probably meant that the draw was deserved but I am sort of concerned that in a game where we got 65% possession, according to FB Ref, that basically all of our threat that we created was through transition. And those moments, like they come from us defending well or the opposition losing the ball or something. Even though we have all of this ball ourselves, we just aren't using it effectively. And I guess maybe that makes me feel that we were a bit more lucky to have those chances. I think if you, if your decision making is as bad as it was at the times when when we did get good transition in the first half, you know, I mean, Bielsa would probably call those chances, and I agree with him. They were chances to to make chances, um, but yeah, if you if your decision making is as bad as ours was at times, then I think I think you you are kind of leaving it down to luck a little bit when instead of kind of being really proactive and making sure that you make a good decision or you know, um, that you don't waste really, really good opportunities. Like we I think we had three or four times when we had men over um, in the in the first half when we'd broken from set pieces and, and just failed to make, make make enough of them. When you look at the XG, obviously, I think we just sort of edged them in, in the uh, stats bomb XG. So it was 1.4 to 1.5 in our favour. Um, and when you look at that, you kind of think, well, yeah, you know, a draw is probably fair. But I, I think when you look at the overall game, and, and as you said, you know, we did deserve to score in, or at least have decent chances in the first half, but they didn't materialise. When you get to the 85th minute, I don't think anyone would have thought that Leeds deserved to, to get a point out of that game. And I think the, the XG obviously gets boosted by the fact that Bamford has just a tap in at the back post into an open goal. And I think that's, which is fine. And, and, and I'm not taking anything away from that, but I do feel as though when you look at it, at least from the game state point of view in the 85th minute, I think it, we we did we weren't exactly causing them huge amounts of problems from from that bombardment we had at the end where they just sat back and um, and, and absorbed the pressure. So I think six of our 12 shots or, or whatever it was, I think it was half our shots came in that last 10 minute spell and most of them were, were, were where we were trying to shoot through big crowds of players rather than... So yeah, it's not like we really opened them up um, at any point in the game really. I think until the goal, we, we made one shot in the second half, um, before before the before we actually got those those couple of chances, which led to the goal as well. So, I think that the, the lock the lock thing goes both ways. It's sort of on on reflection, we deserve to score. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But I think when you when you look at it in terms of like the timeline, it you, we sort of left it a bit late and and had a bit of a scabby goal to to get it there. So I think it goes both ways really. But I don't think we should talk too much about um, the issue of lock because there's not a huge amount we can do about it. Um, so let's talk about something a little bit more concrete that we can talk about, which is uh, the 3-3-1-3. I, I mentioned that we don't often get the chance to see the 3-3-1-3 um, in consecutive weeks, and this week was one of those weeks. And I think we saw a little bit of a, a tweak, as we've seen, as we've said already, about the, the difference between the back threes. We'll talk about the back threes in the next question, but in terms of the 3-3-1-3 the in general, um, there's a 
sort of wide consensus that um, we don't look quite so good when we play in the three three one three. So I thought I would put this to to the question. And uh, Jacob, what do you make? Do you prefer the three three one three this week or last week? I would say last week. Um, the predominant reason for that is that I prefer to have matches click in the team. I think beyond that, um, and that is a big thing. Beyond that, it is sort of much of a muchness. Um, and I don't think that what we did was really drastically different beyond responding to what the what Burnley were doing differently to what Everton were doing. The only other thing I'd add is that I'm not a massive fan of Luke Ayling at right wing back. I generally prefer if he gets on the ball in, in the first line rather than the second line. But I don't think that... Uh, I think that's me and a stylistic preference rather than necessarily something that actually is substantially different. And we'll talk about that in the next question as well. So, Darren, what about you? What did you make of the three-three-one-three this week? I think the Everton 3-3-1-3 looked slightly more balanced to me, but I think that was more to do with the personnel that we used and, and, and again, po- possibly some of my personal preference. I think the other difference... Um, was that Everton were, were happier to let us move the ball through the thirds to a point until they pushed us out into the wide areas, whereas I think Burnley really tried to make sure that we couldn't get through the middle third at all and tried to turn that middle third into a bit of a war zone, both wide and centrally. Um, so I think I think in terms of what we tried to do, I don't think there were huge differences, but I think there, there were the way that the opposition approached it were were quite different and I completely agree with Jacob. We really missed Click badly, I thought, in terms of his... Uh, in in terms of his ability to kind of support the build up um, higher up, but I know we're going to come on to that question a little bit more later. But but yeah, I, th- I think that was one of the key key differences. I think. Well, let's move on to talk about the back three in particular then, because I made a thread on Saturday looking back at the back three in a three three one three that we, as we've done it under Bielsa and um, yeah, I I made a couple of suggestions that actually playing we've played Urente as a centre centre back a few times. I really don't like that. Um, I think we get the best out of him when he plays in a, or at least he we would get the best out of him when he plays a right centre back role, and Strout plays in the centre centre back role, and that was what we saw yesterday. So, Darren, what did we make of that uh, iteration of the back three? Yeah, I thought Strout was superb in the centre centre back role. I think he he reads space so well, and and he he manages to kind of kill danger before it really gets gets dangerous. He um, he's becoming increasingly physical and, and able to stand up to that that kind of challenge there was one notable moment when Ashley Barnes bounced off him uh, quite late in the game which which I really enjoyed um I thought Cooper coped okay I thought he 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 just did Cooper things he was he was there and he was physical and he was he was you know at least going for the headers and making making life difficult on that side and I don't remember him making too many mistakes I think all three centre-backs made some mistakes in possession but I'm talking more about the defensive side of things and I thought Urente was a bit unconvincing um, there were times when he seemed to be um, struggling to decide whether to mark his man or whether to go towards the ball and there was a bit of indecision there which I thought caused us a couple of problems um, and I thought he was uh, put under a lot of pressure actually um, and I think that one of the things that people look to Urente for is that kind of that line breaking pass or that really creative moment where he kind of breaks a line. Um, but I thought that um, Burnley made that made sure that a lot of our first passes were under a lot of pressure from the strikers and that they worked really hard to cut the passing lanes off in the middle third and made sure that that we weren't really able to progress the ball in that way. So I think from that point of view, we saw we saw some of Urente's downsides are, are what I'll say the things that he struggles with but we weren't really able to see what is what is kind of pronounced upsiders I by and large agree with that I I don't think Urete was too bad 
but I, I would certainly go along with um, thinking that he was the weakest of the, of the centre-backs um, throughout and particularly in terms of the pressure that Darren mentioned, there were a couple of moments in the first half where I noticed him getting pressured and he was put onto his left foot. There was a one where he sort of ended up doing kind of a Cruyff turn on on the wing, right, right <laughs> by the uh, right by the uh, at the end of the first half. And there was another moment earlier on where he was forced into a really strange clearance, both on his left, and that sort of highlights to me that I I'm not I wouldn't be comfortable with him playing as the left sided centre back if um if say we we ended up in a situation where Robin Cock and Diego Llorente are both fit. A lot of fans call for them to be the starting partnership, but. It's one thing to be able to pass nicely with your left foot when you're not under pressure, but it's another thing to pass with your left foot when you are getting closed down and he didn't look comfortable like that today. Um, otherwise, I was I was pretty happy with Liam Cooper, generally as what, as what Darren said, and, and I thought Pascal Strack was, was really, really phenomenal and uh, it, I'm just so impressed by his development over the last season. I, th- I think one thing that I would say about Urente, because I know that, we, we sort of seem to criticise him a lot on this show and that, that goes against the thing of the the wider fan base. One thing I would say is that he's, he is a defender that plays right on the edge, isn't he? And that, that sometimes, that, and, and he takes a lot of defensive risks and sometimes those are going to pay off and people are going to think he looks amazing. And sometimes, like at times yesterday, when he gets drawn into the midfield and his man spins him and he can't quite decide what to do, he's going he's gonna to look... Like he's like he's really badly out of position and he's going to get caught out. So yeah, I, I I think I think it is a game that kind of highlighted a lot of his flaws. I think as well the difference between the game yesterday and the game the week before is that Burnley obviously going high into the box and I think that potentially causes us problems anyway. Um, I think that's why I would always want Cooper in that back three for this kind of game because Cooper is our best header of the ball. Uh, I think he was. Pretty useful from from set pieces actually yesterday, Cooper. It was good to have him there. And um, yeah, Strauch I thought was really good in the air. Sometimes I'm a little less convinced of Strauch, Strauch air, airily, um, but I thought he was really good yesterday. I think a lot of that must be a confidence thing. Um, I think one of the things he's doing is just building in confidence week in, week out. And so, and so that makes a, a big difference. But I think that it's just a game that is, as you've said, Darren is 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 sort of maxim is going to maximise the the downsides of Urente and and mitigate the the upside. So um, yeah, we'll no doubt we'll we'll have him back in um, and and he'll look fine when we're playing against teams who are um, keeping it sort of keeping possession, um, trying to build up through through the lines rather than in the air. Um, but yeah, just a tricky tricky game for that combination. Um, and obviously we saw a sub- the substitution straight after the goal, which saw the back line switched up. Urente um, was brought off and. Um, and Shackleton was brought on to play the right wing back position with with Ailing dropping a little bit deeper. Um, was the system better? Did we think, Darren? In both games, what they've had is had in common is that the three three one three has looked best with with Shackleton at, at right wing back. Um, and I think that that might be to do with game state in that both times the the the, the opposition has dropped off. But I also do think it's worth saying that the way that Shackleton uses the ball and the tempo with which he plays are really useful things. Um, and I, th- I think they make him a really useful option um, in in those situations. Um, so I think I think yeah, it does look better. But but is it just because it looks better because of the, what the opposition are doing? Um, I, but I think Shackleton for me is 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 pushing hard for maybe a start at some point soon because I think he's done really well in both the games he's come on, irrespective of what the opposition have done. 
I guess I, I would say the reason why Shackleton is brought on in those moments is because Bielsa knows that the opposition are going to sit deeper and he knows that Shackleton, I think, is just going to be a little bit more dynamic getting down um, high and high and wide. So, you know, there, yes, on the one hand, the opposition are sitting deeper, so it is easy to, to sort of progress the ball and, and sit in, in higher areas and look more dangerous. But the reason why he's brought on is because Bielsa rates him to do that better than, than Luke Ayling. So, um yeah, I'll come to you, Jacob, on this one because um, we had a lot of questions on um, from the listeners. Actually, we haven't managed to fit one in just on um, Shackleton getting a start, as Darren's mentioned. Um, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because obviously it's, it's all well and good bringing Shackleton on when we're playing three three one three because we have that that right wing back berth available to him. Um, what do you think about Shackleton playing more generally, especially if we're not going to be coming out in the three three one three, and and we in fact have a back four where I guess it would be a struggle to maybe to to maybe knock Ailing off his off his perch a little bit. I'd be very keen to see it, and and I'd be very keen to see Shackleton playing in midfield. I mean, it's not something that we've seen in the first team for quite a long time now, because even in preseason he was always playing at right back. But I think that. I think that when it comes to building through the thirds, I think Shackleton does have a, a couple of really, really good attributes. He's got the the sort of the dynamism and, and the constant movement in order to constantly give himself uh, as an option to the other players. And also, I think he he uses his left foot as well as his right foot very well. He's got a really nice sort of quick, subtle left-footed pass, which he did it. I can't remember exactly when, but he did it at one point yesterday. And he I, did it for the the goal actually. Um, oh, was so it? he played he played Rafinha in, I think, with his left foot down the line. Yeah, and 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 I've noticed him sort of able to do that in in sort of pressured situations deeper in in games before as well. I I think the I doubt that it's ever going to happen because it feels like it would be at the cost of Stuart Dallas playing in midfield, and I doubt that Bielsa is likely to do that. But I I think that in games where we're struggling to to construct attacks when we have possession. I think he probably offers more more to us in both his technical ability and his movement. And so I, I would be keen to see it. This brings us on to the uh, fifth question, which is uh, yesterday Ailing had a bit of a torrid time and has struggled to get going this season. So Jacob, does this worry you with, with respect to Ailing? Yeah, uh, it, it does. Um, and I think in the games that we've had so far, we've seen several sort of different things happening with Ailing. Like I think everything's just a little bit off with him right now. Today, uh, today, yesterday, I think it was particularly sort of awareness whilst he was on the ball. There was a few times he just sort of delayed and, and wasn't aware of who was around him and got cheaply dispossessed, which felt very much like that opening goal in the preseason game against Ajax in like the first minute in um, where he, again, just was robbed without knowing who was around him. Against Everton, he got beaten for pace a couple of times and then there was sort of the the question of who should have been marking Paul Pogba a lot of the time in the, in the opening game of the season. So there's just been a few different things with him. And I'm hoping that maybe the international break will help him settle down a little bit. He, he certainly for me has enough credit in the bank, both from just generally his standard as a Leeds player, but also for the times before when his, his levels have dropped a bit, he has, he has come back. So I, yes, I'm concerned, but not to the point of making too fast a conclusion that that's ailing done or anything. And I do think he got a bit better in this game as it went on and not just after going to right centre-back. Uh, I think he calmed down a little bit. Yeah, and Darren, I guess the, the big worry with someone like Ailing is that he's one of the players that we expect to just 
kick on and be fine um and when it comes to issues of squad depth then you're you're sort of very quickly going down to the under 23s which may not be an, an issue potentially um but but how how does that sort of change the the valence of the question for you given that we don't really i mean we have we have shackleton uh, and he would probably be fine there but we again we don't really necessarily have specialist players ready to come through in those positions i suppose that that really does depend on how ready um Bielsa considers Cody Drame to be um and that that uh, th- that is a big 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 question mark isn't it because we've we've seen him perform really well at under 23 level but we've seen a lot of players perform well at under 23 level and not all of them are able to make the step up um so yeah it is a concern um I think I think Aileen's form is is worrying me. Like Jacob says, he's had he's had dips before and he's come out of them. So I'm not going to draw any any enormous conclusions from that at the second. But like like Jacob said, his his decision making does seem to be a split second slower than we used to seeing it. And and the reason that that's a real concern is because because he's so instrumental in the way that we progress the ball and in the way that we keep the ball that if if he's a, a, just a little bit off, then then we're going to look look significantly worse. Um, so I think I think that is a bit of a problem. Um, I saw quite a few posts on Twitter yesterday saying Alien's legs have gone, um, and I think I think it's way 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 too early to draw that sort of conclusion. But I think that does happen when you see a player who's over thirty. Gordon Strachan always said, if you're under thirty and you have a bad game, you just crap. If you're over thirty and you have a bad game, you passed it. So I think I think we we need to be careful about drawing conclusions too soon. But his, his form has certainly been. Uh, a little bit lower than the standards we'd expect in both preseason and in the, the three competitive games so far. Just one final question on this in this area: Do you think that teams are maybe targeting or going to target Ailing on the back of this? Because I feel as though I felt as though Burnley did go after him a little bit um, yesterday. I, I would say that I it felt almost a bit like a pressing trap um, at points because the uh, Burnley's press was a bit asymmetrical in 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 how it was shaped and it it almost felt like they were trying to get the ball funneled to Ailing and then McNeil wasn't directly on him at first but then he 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 collapsed straight onto him and then sometimes the striker on that side would come onto him as well um I I can't say I've had a brilliant sense of that in the other games but I've also not watched the other games back um because I haven't been on the review pod so perhaps perhaps that has been true as well there was a moment when McNeil just tracked back and and dispossessed Ailing. Um, obviously, that that resulted in a uh, a Burnley counter attack. But and and I noticed from that, like you don't often see players doing that tracking back in a in a in a sort of so dangerous way. He just sort of launched his, himself back, won the ball back, and they went from there. And um, I guess things like that you don't see that very often at the at the highest level. So yeah, maybe a little bit of nervousness there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Right, that's enough from me. It's the time of the show when you guys bring a, bring a topic. So let's kick off with you, Darren. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I want to talk about, we've talked a lot about the, the mid-block over the last couple of podcasts, but I just want to think about how we crack it, how how we crack this problem of, of mid, mid-blocks really stifling us. So I guess there are a couple of questions within that. How do we make the system get through them? What do we need to solve the problem? Is it players or is it tactical tweaks? And there was something that Bielsa said in his post-match press conference that really interests me because it was quite different from the sort of things that he normally says. He said that for us to play well, we need our creative players to be at the top of their game. And there's an implied criticism in there, but there's also an implied reliance on individuals to make, make the system work rather than kind of just the system automatically working. So I just wanted to kind of get get your sense of of how we get through this this difficulty because I think we are going to see more and more teams try to do this against us. Um, so it's it's it feels like we're going to be talking about this a lot. So let's try bottom it out early. And uh, what do you think, Jacob? <laughs> so I think firstly I, I want to make the point that I don't think it's helped us playing again in the three three one three in these things because. I feel like we end up with too many players in the first line, almost like behind the ball and not enough people offering options up ahead. You talked earlier, Darren, about um, Burnley doing a good job of of closing the passing lanes. And I I completely agree with that. I think Rodrigo, again, we'll come on to him later, but was quite cut out of the game when we were in possession. And just having another body in in that kind of space will, I think, will help a little bit. Um... I, th- I, I guess my the first thing I want to say is I'd love for us to sign a player, but uh, that doesn't really feel particularly likely. So I was having to think about this, and I think maybe our quickest win is probably starting Tyler Roberts in midfield because, um, like, I, I kind of think these mid blocks are really good at like denying this, the passing lanes and, and cutting out the passing options. But what Roberts does very well. He's like he can drop, he can retain the possession, and turn, and then start driving, driving up the pitch, and um, and we sort of saw it a bit last season when he was starting that he almost has the ability to kind of transform our moments of settled possession into more transitional moments. Um, I remember one particularly where he he turned Mason Mount in the um, in the game we had against Chelsea, uh, which was the nil nil draw, and given that we looked much more comfortable when we're in transition something like that where he's able to break a line through holding the ball and moving it himself rather than passing it may help us do stuff like that at least in the short term beyond that you'd probably want to talk about stuff like better rotations in midfield um better better options being offered particularly by the eights and i mean this this wasn't something that rodrigo was really doing at all I thought Calvin Phillips did a couple of times in the second half, started to realise, yeah, I need to come out and and be somebody else who can help facilitate these movements through the thirds. But um, but that if that's not happening, then it, it makes it much harder. Um, I have two final things to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what one one is uh the I mean, you, to, to use a cliche, you you play the percentages when you you go long um, and. Whenever you're playing long to to get over something like this, uh, over a block or over a high, higher pressure, you are accepting that there's risk that you'll lose the ball. But I do think that there's places that we could have been smarter with the balls that we picked. Like I don't think Diego Urente 
picked a good selection of longer passes compared to like Luke Ayling, for example, in the game yesterday. Um, I mean, this isn't an exact science at all. And the very last thing I'll say is Adam Forshaw, <laughs> if uh, he ever shows up. But uh, that's another big risk in itself. Well, that's a very comprehensive answer. But um, I guess uh, the thing that I would just mention as well is that there's there's different mid-blocks. Like, we've we've just seen two different teams play 4-4-2 in completely different styles. And personally, I think, like, the way that Everton mid-blocked was much more... Um, problematic for us um, so so I don't think we caused we didn't cause Everton many problems yes, uh, when we played the, the, the week before apart from that one time when we played a long ball and their defensive structure broke down um, whereas yesterday I felt as though because Burnley are a team who are going to they are going to counter pressure at c- certain points um, and they're also going to go all in for set pieces so they won a lot of free kicks they won a lot of corners and they were. I just thought they were pretty awful on in, in defensive transition. You know, this is literally the. This is a dream team for us to face in that sense. It's like a. It's like a training exercise, and and you know, the you you turn the ball over at a, at a set piece, and then you counter attack. And Burnley were like migrating whales getting back. It's you, you know when you've got players like James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee, they are not the most agile of of of, of players, and you you could see you could see Sean Dyche bellowing at his players to run. Uh, in the second half of the second half yesterday, um, and yeah, it, they didn't feel particularly quick at the be- at the beginning of that game. So um, I think there's 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 mid blocks and there's mid blocks. I don't worry too much about Burnley's mid block necessarily because I think, as we've said, we we did cause we did generate threat. And the worrying thing there was that, as as we've said, we we, we were making poor decisions, um, we were taking poor touches, we looked a little bit panicked in front of goal. That's one thing to worry about, but I don't think that's necessarily a tactical worry. Um, but it's it's these other mid blocks, I think, where. We've seen it with with Everton. We've seen it with uh, Brighton, obviously, where these teams are very, very good at just funneling us into wide areas and pressing us. And the the result is is that that we don't really generate much. Now, it may be the case that for these teams, because they are not elite teams, that we get the benefit of that as well. In that, you know, when they go forward, they're not going to commit many players into the the forward um, the forward the attacks, and it means that we have a, an easier chance of defending it. But it does mean that we also are going to struggle to score. So I think we will see a lot more draws potentially this season off the off the basis of that. Um, with all that in mind, yeah, I, I agree with Jacob about the ways that you start thinking about solving that. Um, and I think there are there are the, the one thing I would maybe add to what what you suggested was maybe just getting our press sorted out because I feel at the moment we're so one dimensional in insofar as as you've said the the Bielsa quote there where where it's about creative players playing well I think we're we're very much at a point now where we are an inshallah team where we are essentially looking to have moments where Rafinha can do something out of the ordinary we're not we're not generating goals through tactical realities that sounds very Bielsen doesn't it um, but so if you think it like we've had the the, the Luke Ayling goal was a shot from outside the box uh, against against Manchester United. There was that there was the goal the click goal which was I think a little bit more tactically um, astute. But then we had the Rafinha goal which was a sort of the ball breaks out at the edge of the area, and then we've had the Burnley goal which is you know the ball pinballs through a little bit and, and goes in. We've only really scored one goal which has been the result of our of our of our tactical approach. And I think yeah perhaps perhaps that's just the way football is. But I feel as though with Leeds, we've we've been used to three seasons where our system has got us goals rather than moments, and now I feel as though we've very quickly switched a- around the other way. So yeah, I'd like to see maybe a little bit more um, 
system smart stuff um not just not just kind of not being able to play through the lines but going long the ball breaking down and then just sort of hoping that the the the, the ball comes out for for one of our creators to get on the end of it so yeah i don't know what you make of that darren I think that that's kind of the answer that I'm gravitating towards is that that yeah I I really want to see the system start to work properly and and to start to see the clever little interchanges um the the, the third man runs around their box which we used to be so good at but which seems to have really dropped off and I think that that's the biggest concern for me out of all of this is that we're not able to get into the sort of situations and create the sort of chances that we used to do. Um, I take you, totally take your point about the mid-blocks being different, by the way, John, um, and I, I agree with you. I think the only the only thing that I would say is that the one thing that they had in common is that they made sure that at no point really, apart from in those from set pieces, did they commit their full-backs forward, which means that our balls into the channels um, and the longer balls that we're trying to play are always more likely than not going to fall to one of their players and I think that's that's one of the problems that I think the two games had in common is that we weren't really able to get Rafinha and Jack Harrison into the game in advanced situations with anywhere near the regularity that you'd want to see. Just on that point that you said there Darren um, it, br- last season Brighton did that very well but obviously they had ex- an extra man in the back line and I, th- I think it's been a a smart adaptation by those teams this year to to keep the fullbacks deeper and sort of have that same effect and it does make me worry that that's a trend that's going to keep coming yeah and and i think it's important that's a really good point that you raised there jacob because sometimes i think we talk about Bielsa's tactics as if as if we're not facing an opposition as if we're facing dummies and and actually what we what we're facing is you know, kind of elite coaches making elite decisions. I mean, even Sean Dyche, you know, he's an elite coach, he's working in one of the top leagues in the world and been very successful at it comparative to his level. I agree. I mean, just look at um, look at the difference between the two games against Arsenal last year. Let's move on to your question, Jacob. So what did you want to talk about? So uh, through the game, it felt like we were much more pr- productive from our right flank than our left flank. Um what was up with the left flank? Uh, I, I guess it could be Burnley's press. It could be something about the players we use. It could just be decision making. Um, yeah, and that's just what I wanted to bring to the table. I thought we actually had easier opportunities to go down the left than, than the ones that were presented down the right. To be honest, I mean, I, I know that um, Goodmanson and Matt Lowton, Yeah, I know. I know they're not players who are going to kind of bomb forward and cause a lot of problems, and they are quite defensively sound. But I actually felt that there were opportunities for us to move the ball down the left, and a lot of our best transitions came down the left hand side too. Um, but I agree with you. I think we we were more inclined to try and go down the right, and I wonder whether it's just because of that that function of having having Dallas at left back, and I know at left wing back rather, and I know that Dallas has got a lot of qualities, but actually smooth and silky build up play um, from that position isn't really one of them, um, and and I think that that quite often leaves Jack Harrison quite isolated, um, and and in positions where he has to kind of you know pull out three or four tricks to even get a yard of space which he he wasn't really able to do at any point yesterday and I think I think we are more and more relying on relying on Rafinha um as as the kind of chief creator so we're we're trying to look for him at all at all times and hope that he can either swivel and and find a a great long ball out to Harrison on the left or out to the left hand side or or beat a man or do something which kind of creates a yard of space um I think yeah I think Primarily, our, our best chance of build-up is 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 through is usually through Luke Aylin and Rafinha, and I think that that's just kind of uh, how it how it ended up playing out yesterday. I don't I don't know whether you guys agree with that. 
I was looking on FB Ref actually, just trying to find something interesting in the data. And the thing that stuck out, stood out for me actually was progressive yardage on carries. I think which usually we're, we we uh, used to seeing Luke Ayling smash the field, um, but he wasn't actually the top. Uh, progressive carrier yesterday for Leeds that was actually Jack Harrison which I, I suppose surprised me a little bit um, because I didn't really I didn't really have a huge amount of of uh, memory of, of Jack Harrison carrying the ball forward but I suspect that's probably just from transitional play um, but I don't know if any I don't know if either of you have any memories of Jack Harrison doing a huge amount of transition work in in terms of ball carrying I think he always he always is somebody who's going to pick the ball up in the back third and at least try and and try and create yardage. Um, what were, what were his actual numbers, John? I don't have them on the tip of my okay. tongue, but it was about it was it was very low. It was but it was it was much more than I think most of our other players, um, relatively speaking. So I mean, I think he was involved in some of those transitions, and I think that he quite often picks the ball up in the back third and, and runs it ten or fifteen yards before trying to pop a pass off. So I suspect it was probably that. I suspect his figures weren't weren't hugely different from from what they normally are and I'm 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 going to say that in in, in the knowledge full knowledge that Martin Riley is going to correct me at some point. <laughs> um it's it's 338 yards of progressive distance um and then the next player down was Urente 245 and then Luke Ailing 204 which is I mean I mean usually usually Ailing is is sort of double the figures of the next closest player so um definitely definitely a, a little bit Bit, bit bit weird in that respect. Well, it shows what num- what a number they did on Ailing then, as we sort of touched on earlier, didn't it? In making sure that he didn't have the space to run into that he normally would that would normally be created for him. I think they they did a really good job of of sort of pressing in. I guess it's not really a wide press, but it was more a, a sort of wide cover. And um, they didn't allow the ball, as you've said, from 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 the right back area to to progress in any way other than basically a one two and then Rafinha dropping deep uh, and I think most teams will be happy if that's if that's the way that Leeds are trying to, to build up but uh, yeah in terms of in terms of your question Jacob I guess I guess we we tend to want to build up down the right a little bit more um but I mean having said that I think recently at least at the end of last season it felt as though we were maybe going down the left hand side a little bit more but maybe that was because we felt as though teams were a little bit heavier on the right hand side because they knew we had Rafinha and then you had Ailing and so we we were just trying to build the other way around but um it does seem as though we've we've gone back a little bit um maybe I don't know cuz cuz Cooper I think is still a good distributor down that side um so yeah I think I'm probably with Darren on this one and it's probably more to do with with um, Dallas not being quite as good uh, in in the build up phases um in those in those areas as well and that's why we brought that's why we brought Junior in, right? Is to kind of to try and solve at least some of that stuff in terms of how we build up down the left. So that would make sense. And maybe an honourable mention for Click as well, because I think Click is so good at facilitating build up in wide areas um, in a way that Rodrigo just isn't. Um, I think you can say a lot about Rodrigo. I think he I think he was okay-ish, at, at, particularly in the first half. I think he was good, um, but I, I don't think that his link-up play is is great. Um, I think he's just he's just a really useful player to have for those transition moments. I think he's an elite tran- transition transitioner. Transitionist. I think transitionist is the correct word. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> Let's let's move on to the listener questions. This is the part of the show where you guys get your say in what we discuss. So a question from Udav Chawan, which sort of moves on from what we've just been talking about here, actually. Um, when the ball was circulated wide, we were quite ineffective, in my opinion. I think this was due to Click not being available. 
his movements out wide are important for us. Am I right? So yeah, I guess a chance for us to then talk a little bit about about the role that, that Click played. So Jacob, what did you make of Click not being available? Um, I think that, that it's the, it's that really big contrast between what we were trying to do in the Everton game and this game is Click just going from side to side with, with the, those lateral movements. Uh, Darren was talking earlier about the sort of missing the combinations and the third man runs and um, things in and around sort of their box that we use to help create chances. And I think Click is as integral to that as anybody is. Um, quite often, particularly before the goal, um, when we did start to get more people closer together down the wings but quite often there'd be times when it would just be Rafinha by himself or just Harrison by himself and I I know that Click would be someone who would be going over there and offering support and helping change the angle and helping drag people out of the way and and without that um, I think that's such a core part of what helps our wingers be such integral creators as, as they normally are and without that we really are missing something I'm not convinced that we would have seen Click starting yesterday were he available. Um, I think that maybe the suggestion was from Bielsa that that would have been the case, or at least he made a comment saying, because um, someone asked him how impacted by the COVID um, um, absentees we were, and he said they would have played. Now, that, that does that mean that he would have started? I don't know. Um, but yeah, Darren, I'm interested in, in hearing what you think would have happened had Click played, whether or not um, whether or not it was always the case that Bielsa was going to use Rodrigo because of the transitional quality of the the Burnley game he knows that there's going to be those moments where we can catch them in 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 uh, defensive transition what's your thoughts on all this like was it was it was the case that Click would have played and, and would he have made things better I think he would have played yeah I, I do think Click would have started because I think I actually think Click is if not quite as elite um, as as Rodrigo in the transitions, I think he's very good in the transitions and can quite often help us create chances in those in those situations as well as those where he links up the build up play. Um, I also think that that one of the things that Click will do and uh, quite often is is to drop into that middle or back third and to try and turn and to try and find um, a different sort of transitional pass from the ones that the centre backs find. Um, so. Um, I I think I mean you can't say can you that this player would have made X difference but 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 I do think that we would have we would have been able to create more dangerous situations in general play and not only in transitions had had um, had had click played I think if you've got Harrison and Rafinha and Bamford. Uh, on the pitch to kind of take care of your, tra- your transitions and they're, they're going to get into good situations and good positions irrespective of whether Rodrigo is there. Um, I, I, I agree with you that I thought Rodrigo played a really good part in some of the transitional play that we did in the first half though and I don't want to take that away from him because he really did create some good situations but my observation is that when we're in the general play Rodrigo wants to play more as a striker so he'll kind of make direct forward runs and try and find that 10 space whereas whereas Click's instinct is very much to go and, and, and yeah, to work that lateral space in, in the final third. So um, I uh, I think I think Click would would have made a difference, but whether whether we would have performed better or won, who knows? But but um, I, I I think he would have started, and I think that would have been the right call. Let's talk about Rodrigo now because Andrew Foster asks at what point does Bielsa admit defeat with the Rodrigo at 10 experiment it feels like our attacking threat relies mostly on the wingers performing and we're stifled if they aren't in the game we aren't threatening enough through the middle and Rodrigo doesn't offer defensive work either um very very damning words from Andrew Foster there but um Darren we'll start with you 
Yeah, I, I remember in the group chat yesterday when I said that I was going to refuse to discuss either Llorente or Rodrigo on, the, <laughs> on this podcast, um, and here we go. Uh, yeah, no, um, I think that's the thing. I think I think Rodrigo does interpret the role as closer to a ten, and I think I think that's one of the problems because it means that Calvin Phillips is effectively playing playing the midfield on on his own, um, and. There are moments, like you say, when when Rodrigo's going to take a touch, a clever touch. He's going to turn a man. He's and then and then we're going to be on the attack. And he did that really well. Um, I ju- I just think that he doesn't he doesn't add as much to our general build up play as, as one would hope for him to do because I think he's always looking for the space in behind the midfield, um, which is different from when he plays as a striker because he's also looking for the space in behind the midfield when he's playing as a striker. Um, I think that there were there were definitely times in the first half in that spell when Burnley got on top when when Calvin Phillips was doing all of the defensive midfield work on his own without without a huge amount of support from Rodrigo and I thought that caused us problems. But then Rodrigo hanging around the halfway line as he did a couple of times then created a couple of dangerous situations for us. So I don't know whether it was a deliberate tactic. Or, or whether it was just Rodrigo not following his man into the midfield, um, it's difficult to say. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think. I mean, we can talk all day long about where Rodrigo fits into this team and into this squad, um, and I don't think we're any closer to an answer now than we were um, last season. I, my, my feeling is that he's best used as an, as an impact sub, um, and 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 that's it. But I suspect that Bielsa disagrees with me about that, and that's just the way it is. Largely, um, I agree with what, what Darren said already. In, in my notes, I wrote that it was almost a game of two Rodrigos because it, in transition, as, as you said earlier on, John, he, he did look really, really fantastic. The like the feint that, that got his opponent on the floor and he went round him, the, uh, the round the corner pass to Harrison. And um, there was a really subtle right-footed pass I liked eight minutes in. I can't remember what it was, but I wrote that down. Um, <laughs> But yeah, just out, outside of transition in the general play, as Darren says, it, it just feels like he's occupying the wrong spaces. And I just feel like he's out of sync with what the team is trying to do generally. Um, there was a really nice, really, really nice disguise pass that Urente played to him um, early on. But he just didn't read what was happening at all. And it turned into a turnover um, when he, he, he couldn't get it to Phillips. And then he just abandoned his man. Llorente's disguise was so good that even Rodrigo didn't recognise him. <laughs> Damning with faint praise. Um, uh, it's an interesting point you make about the um, about hanging off his man in order to be in a good space for the transition. And, and to be fair, it wasn't as though Burnley's predominant threat was coming through Ashley Westwood or Josh Brownhill. No, no, it wasn't. But they were quite good at getting in on the counter press, and 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 that meant that they had an overload of bodies centrally at times, and I think that that caused us a problem. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And um, and and there were and there were other times as well when it when they were moving the ball through the middle, and Rodrigo just wasn't there, and it's just you 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 have to you have to work hard on that. I saw visible frustration between some of the other players and Rodrigo again yesterday, and it's just. It's just, it's just not ideal. Yeah, I think that we should maybe just touch on pressing because I do think that there's a general consensus that Rodrigo presses okay because I think he run he, he he is quite willing to press in forward spaces and I think he's willing to do that because he knows what he's supposed to be doing roughly and if the ball goes around you you don't get bollocked as much as you do 
in in other places, but I think particularly in central spaces, his his man marking is woeful. It really is. And I noticed it quite a bit yesterday, actually, that that you, you can see players just getting separation from him in in scenarios not where it's not where it's fine to do that and so he's always sort of out of position and always having to catch up with with where the players are at and um I, I do think that's a little bit worrying and um well we're going to talk about the pressing later on so I'm not going to labor this point but um I do think that 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 the the issue with Rodrigo's pressing is not that he doesn't run around a lot which he does I just I just think we lose an edge um from when we have someone like Click in there yeah, I agree. And I also think just specifically about Rodrigo's pressing, one of the things that I've noticed over a period of time is that quite often the way he presses actually takes him out of the game if he doesn't win the ball. So he ends up running way past his man and then he's just totally out of the situation. Whereas I think other players manage to kind of make 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 sure that their runs keep them in the game or at least keep them putting the player under pressure if they don't win it. We talk about Rodrigo as a, like, a player who, who really excels in transition and not so much in the general play. Um, comparing when he plays up front to when Bamford plays up front, Bamford occupying the defenders, whereas Rodrigo is just sort of like looking to find the space in them. It feels like a sort of a more reactive way to try and get into space compared to Bamford who's trying to make space. And what you were just saying a minute ago, John, about sort of being always behind his man and always having to be reactive in that respect, I, in some senses that's a similar kind of proactivity versus reactivity thing. Right, let's move on. There are noises coming out of various places online that, that Dan James to to Leeds United could become a reality. I know that Adam Crafton did tweet something yesterday, maybe even put something out on The Athletic, suggesting that, that Dan James is now available for, for whatever reason um, and Leeds have to match a valuation of around £20 million, which, yeah, makes me want to cry. But um, Mark Dennett had a question saying, does Dan James fix the problems we've seen against Everton and Burnley? So, Jacob, does Dan James fix the problems we've seen against Everton and Burnley? Perhaps he doesn't give the ball away as much as some of the other players, but really, for me, his upside is as a transitional player and that isn't something that we're especially deficient in. Um, So, no. (laughs) Um, The order of priority for the transfer window for me this year was always left-back first, and then a midfielder, but almost equally as important as the as the left back, and then finally, and quite a distant third, really, uh, for me would would be a winger. Um, and um, I know that Hobbsy disagrees with me about that. And... I don't think he does anymore, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. I know he did at some point, and and that that's fine. But but for me, the problems are, are always about as kind of you know getting safe passage through the thirds and and trying to facilitate build up and all those sorts of things. And I don't, I just don't think Dan James is going to help with that. You know, if if we're if we're in a situation against a really top team and we're being penned in a bit and we need to bang the ball over halfway and get someone to chase it, yeah, great, use him for that by all by by all means. But but in the vast majority of games that we play this season, I, d- I don't think he's going to have the sort of influence that we need um, to, to improve things. Yeah, I'm with I'm with Jacob on this. I think we've already got one of those. Right, let's move on to the stat section, which we were going to give some kind of catchy name, but we still haven't got around to giving, so we'll probably just end up... Static Bamford. Let's Stat-trick just call it Stat- Let's just do it. And then we'll, we'll make the theme tune, d- 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 or whatever, you know. <laughs> Static <fine>. Bamford. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's something we can look forward to. I thought it'd be interesting to look at the um, just the, the pressing numbers actually between the four nil win at Turf Moor at the end of last season and um, the 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 draw yesterday, um, because it did stand out to me that we were about a, well yeah we were about a hundred below um, 
last season in terms of our pressing. So uh, in the game at Turf Moor at the end of last season, we had 233 pressures, um, of which 54 were successful, um, and the majority were were, were in the, the midfield area. So 102 pressures in the midfield area. Whereas on Sunday, we uh, only had 136 pr- pressures, which 45 were successful, um, but there was only 55 pressures in the midfield area um attacking third i think was similar uh, about exactly bang on 32 both times but for some reason much much less pressing in the in the um the, the midfield section and uh, i guess about half as much pressing as well in the in the defensive third too so i thought i would highlight this as as, as an interesting statistical um anomaly and and put put over to you guys what what you think the difference is there so who wants to kick off on this it's a it's not an easy question by any stretch but uh, <laughs> um but yeah do, do, do we think this is interesting do think do we think that this signals a change of style perhaps between this season and last season is it just the case that burnley were on the beach and um and and that was that or or does this indicate that that actually there are issues with our pressing at the moment? The thing I, I just wondered initially was the amount of possession that we had. And so I've just leaped back onto FB Ref. And the game we played yesterday, we had 65% possession and Burnley had a lot less of the ball. But in, in that 4-0, it was 51-49 to us. And so Burnley were just on the ball a lot more. And so there was more opportunity for us to be applying those pressures onto the player on the ball. So I think that probably does explain it to to some extent. Um, I'm sure there's some factor as well about Burnley just getting the ball forward quickly when they had it. Um, I I haven't really given this an awful lot of thought, but just off the top of my head, I I wonder about in in the shorter amount of time they had on the ball, whether Burnley were just taking fewer risks and just trying to get, get, get it up to the to wooden barns even quicker. There definitely were. They definitely were, were more direct and trying to hit us, hit us um, centrally quickly. But the other thing is that one of the things I noticed is that um, Bamford's pressing figures are very, very similar in terms of the amount of pressures that he, that he applied. So 19 last year and 18 this year, which means that his game was broadly where it was a, a year ago. I always think of pressing as a chain, and as soon as that chain breaks down, then, then you, you're going to really struggle to kind of pick it back up again. So Bamford goes first. Who follows him? Um, so clearly, in a lot of those situations where j- quite often it was one lateral pass by a centre back to another centre back, maybe bounce it off the full back, but then go long. Um, it means that that we need that second centre back to be pressured, and and that just wasn't happening. So I'm not. I'm not just for the record. I'm not saying that this is all Rodrigo's fault. But um, but I do I do think that that for whatever reason Bamford's pressing seemed isolated and I think that was a bit of a that was a bit of a problem for us, um, particularly given Rodrigo was taking quite a high starting position. Uh, in any case, maybe we needed him to to kind of support and and put that higher pressure on. Also, it looks like Jack Harrison was significantly down from where he was last year, which maybe indicates that they didn't try to use the right hand side of the build up. Um, or what, what limited build-up they did but I think it is difficult to draw conclusions from this because had Burnley's style been so much I think it was more direct yesterday than it was, was a year ago I think particularly at times in the first half uh, in, in the game at Turf Moor they, they actually played on the ground sometimes or is the, they just didn't do that at all yesterday yeah, I, I suspect this is probably mainly stylistic um, and I'm sure that it has something to do with the Burnley Burnley recognizing that we pressed them 
in, in into problems last time around. Um, and so they decided to go more direct. And I, I guess the possession thing as well. Um, I think they I think they counter pressed as much less yesterday and i think because of the, um they they also um were happier for to just let us have the ball a little bit more as well and i think that obviously that impacts the possession but it also does impact the the pressing numbers as well if leads are being given a huge amount of possession then it, it means you obviously you're going to see uh less time to actually press and counter and get the ball back so i i i suppose where where this would sort of lead me is to asking the question whether or not we think that leads now have just become a straight up transition team and and whether or not that's what other teams are going to do is is that part of what the mid block shift is about is it simply about saying we can sit deeper allow leads to have the ball and know that they're not really going to generate huge amounts of chances from it because we know that that it mitigates their press it means if if you're seeing the pressing numbers going down by half and you know that that's a big part of leads's game plan then you're you're sort of onto a winner there aren't you well yeah except when when we played Everton last week there were definitely times when when Bamford and Click together were able to put, for example, they were able to put Pickford un- under quite significant pressure, which which stopped him from going quite lo- as long and direct uh, accurately as as he would normally do. So I think I think there's definitely some truth in that, but I think there are also things that we can do to mitigate it, which is to make sure that when that first ball comes, when that launch comes, that that, that the player is under really significant pressure, and and we we didn't we didn't do that yesterday. I don't think. I'm just looking at the Everton game now. Um, and yeah, the pressures were down a bit, but they were definitely higher than they were against against Burnley. So 171 pressures, uh, 41 pressures in, in advanced areas, which is about 10 higher than it was yesterday. Um, yeah, 74 in the midfield area. So a lot of this probably does come down to, to Mateus Click. But I suppose this is, it, it is a instructive question because you know if we are going to play with Rodrigo from the off it does mean that we we do sort of limit ourselves as to the the options that we have and I think that's maybe the the conclusion that we've drawn this morning is that is that it's all well and good having Rodrigo we're we're going to be elite in transition when we have him but it does mean that we pretty much are limiting ourselves to being a transitional team rather than a team that can can maybe build up through through pressing and counter pressing and, and and through build up play as well so yeah what a what a positive note to our morning <laughs> With that in mind, let's move on to the section that we we call positives, which is what we do after a game when we are in need of positive uh, sustenance. So, Jacob, what what positives have you got for us today? I did want to mention Pascal Stripe, but we sort of talked about him earlier on. So, I looking for something else. Um, well, the f- first thing I wanted to say, I thought there was a brilliant example of how the the team were able to learn from what they did wrong in the game yesterday, which was when Stuart Dallas failed to take a throw in, he then learned how to take a throw in. <laughs> my serious answer is was um i thought patrick bamford played quite well um i thought at, at times he was able to drop deep and help link um in sort of advanced wide areas in ways that i would kind of be hoping rodrigo would have done and i thought his hold up play was, was all right and he battled quite well against the center backs it was it was a hard game for him in the sense that he was quite starved of service and he got thrown on the floor a few times but I thought it was relatively effective and obviously it, the goal was strange but he had to be there and he was. Yeah it was quite difficult to draw positives yesterday. I, I th- initially I just thought the kind of resilience that we showed to come back into the game and to keep going to the end and and, and you know and and find that goal was, was a good thing but actually what I want to just uh, 
reflect on was that um, Rafinha stealing Charlie Taylor's soul was a beautiful thing to see. And one of those moments where from, from a game that actually I'm not really going to remember very much apart from uh, probably Melier's amazing save, which didn't end up paying off because they scored in the immediate next phase of play. And, and then Rafinha sitting Charlie Taylor down and sending him off for a nap was, was, was beautiful. So yeah, I'll just, I'll just take that one away with me, I think. Yeah, I'm going to go with Strauch. I don't care. We can talk about him again because I thought he was excellent. Um, and I, th- I think he is our best centre centre back, and it's nice to have an option in that position. And I think, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting one the the back three because I think we just we sort of assume that we can just throw in a few centre backs and we'll be fine. But I do think it's a very specialist position, and it's nice to see uh, Strauch able to to play that one. I think Robin Koch would probably be fine as a centre centre back as well. I agree. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was it was lovely watching Pascal Strauch pretty much barely get a foot wrong. We are going to have a little bit of a break over the international period. I think, Darren, you've got a under-23s podcast coming out on the Patreon bonus feed. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Recording that on Thursday with Tom Wilson and Hobbsy. Good stuff. So, uh, yeah, head over to the Patreon to check that out. I will be doing a video analysis, I think probably looking at the the back three this week um, that we talked about, doing a little bit of video assessment of that. Josh, I think, is looking at Rodrigo and some of his the, the good stuff that he did in, in transition um, later in the week as well. So there's plenty of stuff going on over at the Patreon channel. So if you need to get your Leeds United fix through the international break, if international football isn't doing it for you, then do head over to our Patreon channel, which is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? And with that, we arrive at the end of the podcast. So all there is for me to do is to say thank you, Darren. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, John. And we'll see you on the flip side. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.